Hi, it's a little embarrassing as the host of a podcast to screw something up, particularly in your first episode. But I unfortunately did this episode. My guest Barrett had her audio all fine, but mine was not. My microphone was too loud, so I had to end up making a bunch of editing corrections to try to make it better, but it still sounds kind of bad. So the intro, the pre-roll is actually recorded with good audio, but in the interview, the dialogue that I have is a little bad sounding. It's still very much listenable, but I just wanted to uh, give a quick disclaimer regarding that. I think it would be kind of disingenuous for me to re-record all of my side of the conversation. So I wanted to leave that as is. Just be aware that future episodes will sound better. Thanks. Let's just uh, start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thoughts and Prayers, a brand new and completely unironically named, I promise, podcast about keeping the fight for sensible gun laws in the news. The problem is that today's news cycle moves at a mile a minute, so it's unfortunately far too easy to just skip over news of another school shooting or other tragedy. But keeping kids and just really every American safe shouldn't be an issue we forget. So that's why I'm here doing this podcast. I want to keep this in the news cycle. And we're not here just to give thoughts and prayers, title of the show aside, and we're not here to take away everyone's guns either. Instead, we're going to interview people who are taking action in this fight for sensible gun laws and hopefully inspire you listeners at home to join in this fight yourselves. I'm your host, Max Patton, and I recently graduated high school in the Washington, D.C. metro area. For this first episode, I wanted to talk to another D.C. high school graduate who has been very active in the fight for common sense gun laws in the last few months. Today, we're talking about her specific involvement, taking advantage as an activist living in the capital city, what exactly the gun laws that she's fighting for are, and just thoughts on the March for Our Lives bus tour, which is happening this summer. And at the very end of the episode, this one included, we're also going to mention some things that you as listeners can do to help beyond thoughts and prayers, so stick around for that. But enough of me blabbering on, let me introduce Barrett Fife. Hi. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for having me today. And I'm really, really looking forward to being a part of this, which sounds like a, a great way for students to understand this really important issue and to hear from kids their own age about what we can do moving forward. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And you already have a great radio voice. So it looks like we have a great start here. Yeah, I'm glad this is my first radio interview. So I'm excited. Awesome. So uh, I just want to start out. This is how we'll start out each person. What have you been doing in the last few months, you know, obviously following Parkland and all the actions surrounding that? What have been the actions that you've been taking? Well, I've been politically aware and active in my city for a couple of years now, which means that I've heard about, you know, gun violence has always been kind of like a staple issue that politicians that I work with talk about. It's especially important to one of my political mentors, given that his sister was actually killed using a gun by um, her husband in an issue, uh, an instance of domestic violence. So I've always been very aware of this issue. In my hometown of Alexandria, there have been a surprising amount of um, murders involving guns in the past couple of years, given that we've always considered ourselves to be a very a, a relatively safe city. And after what happened with Parkland and everything in the past year, because there have been just so many shootings in the past like two years that they've all kind of blurred together in a way, after Parkland and kids my age started stepping up and talking about what we can do to make a difference, I thought, you know what, that could be me too. And I was one of the original founding members of Students Demand Action DMV, which is a local branch of the national organization, which is an offshoot of Moms Demand Action, one of the most essential groups in the effort to end gun violence. So we've been working with politicians, but we've also been working with kids our own age. And now the organization has over hundreds of members in this area alone. And we're, we've begun to have um, a national impact. And we've really seized the moment in a way that is super inspiring. 
in an issue that has seemed hopeless up until this moment. Yeah, the national outreach and support for groups like Moms Demand Action, which is under every town, and consequently Students Demand Action, has just been huge recently. And um, both of us, you know, being in the D.C. area, we have a lot of proximity to where the laws are actually made. So as an activist, what kind of powers and responsibilities do you feel that that gives students like us? Well, it's it's an interesting combination of feelings because I've I've always my entire life I felt like an automatic inspiration being so close to the Capitol and feeling like we're at the center of the free world in a way. Seeing the White House, seeing the Capitol, it, it really makes me feel empowered because I, I can I can almost see and I can touch these things that have such a profound impact on the rest of the world. But it's also always given me, you know, a feeling of added responsibility given that I'm here, I feel like I can't just sit idly by and let these people that I can I can talk to and I can impact uh, letting them continue to make decisions that I feel hurts the country, I feel an added responsibility to take my own action. And it's actually um, in the past couple of years, I've learned it's not as hard as you might think. I've had personal meetings with Don Beyer, who's my congressman who works, of course, on Capitol Hill um, about gun violence with kids my own age. And I've also been so inspired by protests and uh, lions and all kinds of things like that that actually take place at the doors of politicians that I, I find rather problematic. So it, it really is inspiring to see and witness the impact that I and kids my own age can have in this area. And, you know, earlier you mentioned that in Alexandria and in D.C., of course, there is a problem, obviously, with uh, crime because it's an urban area or in more urban areas, you're just naturally going to have more incidents of homicide and gun violence in general, even in a city like D.C. where guns are typically more controlled. Right. So do you feel like it's a kind of isolation that we have because the the way that we deal with guns here in you know a more metropolitan area is different from say people who grow up in more rural areas where they're kind of raised around guns in a very different way and they don't have those same issues of crime? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because of course in some ways like I I used to do theater on the uh the north side of the Capitol which is um a very different area from the south side of the Capitol where you know the museums are and culture is so supported on the north side it it tends to get a little more dangerous and you can see the, the real hardships of life like drug abuse and crime. But I, you're very correct in saying that, you know, gun violence is not something that I've seen very much of. And I agree that it is kind of an idealistic world that we live here in DC because it, it's so different from the rest of the country and rural areas. But how I deal with that is I just, I try to have conversations with people who come from different backgrounds than me. I have a friend who's from Kentucky and she tells me about what it's like to hunt recreationally or just own guns because they're so readily available. Or another friend of mine who's lived here her whole life, but her family just has guns because they want that for their safety. And even though I don't always understand the decisions that, you know, the my friends and their families are making, it really teaches me a lot more about what life is like for other people by engaging in these conversations. And I found that that's really the, the quickest way to understand what life is like for other people. As youth, we're growing up with social media. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have all these channels that can be used for both good and bad. You know, you can get uh, more understanding and get those other perspectives like you just mentioned, but you also obviously get people, you know, yelling at each other in comments and being really nasty because of that way they're inter interacting online, not in person. Do you feel like there's a, what do you feel like the net, um, do you feel like, do you feel like it's a net positive or like a net negative when it comes to social media? and how it affects our understanding of this issue. For this issue specifically, I think that this is one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen social media do. As a teenager and yet also a resident grandparent in some ways, I've often had my qualms with um, the way that social media changes communication. But when it comes to activism 
and showing kids the real impact that they can have across the country. I think that social media is something absolutely incredible. Um, Being able to see what kids are up to across the entire country. And like for us in DC, it's sometimes much, much easier because we do have that constant, um, you know, affirmation of what's going on about politics. It's almost impossible for us to escape that the profound impact that Washington DC has on the rest of the country. But for kids in, you know, small town America, it's, it's a lot more difficult for them to, on their own, take initiative and actually, you know, try to make impact in their own communities. But the ability of social media to connect people from all across the country, I mean, that's what leads to things like the March for Our Lives and then the hundreds of offshoots that we had all across the country. So people who couldn't make it to D.C. were actually able to do something completely different and bring the movement to their areas. And I think using social media and being able to connect people is how we can really effectively you know, change hearts and minds when it comes to this issue of gun violence. And then something that, you know, does tend to get confused in social media or really just in any kind of dinner table discussion is the specific uh, nature of the gun laws that kids like us and the March for Our Lives kids from Parkland and everyone involved is fighting for. How would you describe like the main the main bullet points. Right. It's really important because when we say end gun violence, I mean, it, it can be very vague and it can, it can also seem to people who are who are scared of this movement, they can seem like we just want to take away their guns. And I know that different people have different things that they're fighting for, but I have a, a few specific and concrete initiatives that I hope to see passed in the next couple of years. Um, we do have background checks across the country, but I would like to see them increase and regularly enforce because I feel like there's a problem with, you know, businesses being like, ah, the background checks. We need to see them actually enforced. Those need to be incentivized across the country. Uh, I would like to see the legal age for purchasing a firearm be raised to 21 years old. Um, I want assault weapons and semi-automatic weapons to be banned because I just, I, the, the whole idea of protecting yourself using a gun is that you you need to protect yourself and your property. And I just don't see the point of having a semi-automatic weapon in that um, initiative. So I'd like to see those banned. And there are um, specific rules that I want to see enforced for certain subgroups. Um, For example, I don't think that convicted domestic abusers should be able to purchase a firearm. Given, you know, I've close friends of mine or, you know, people who are close to me, they've had instances where they've, they've lost loved ones through domestic abuse. And I really think that 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 could really help families and specifically women in this case across the country. So um, those are some of my specific tenets. And I don't think because I've spent a lot of time contemplating the Second Amendment and its place in um, this entire movement. I don't think that those initiatives infringes on the Second Amendment at all, because the whole idea is a well-regulated militia. So, you know, creating um, regulations and these, you know, moderated restrictions on the purchasing of firearms, all it does is lead to the idea of a well-regulated militia. So if we're going to have well-regulated in the Second Amendment, we should be able to regulate the militia that we're making in our country. And I think that these um, increased and regularly enforced initiatives could really actually help the people who just honestly want to own a gun for their their safety, for the safety of their families and their property. I think that if you are actually a committed American citizen who wants to follow the Second Amendment in a really, in an honest and helpful way, these initiatives and these new rules um, should have no negative effect on your day-to-day life. And a lot of the specific stuff you mentioned and stuff you can find on the uh, March for Our Lives website, which we'll link, I think they outline it really well also, is just really, quite honestly, seems like low-hanging fruit. It seems like things that kind of are just exist as loopholes in the law and aren't necessarily defending civil liberties, but more just bringing these 
opportunities for bad things to happen. Like just specifically today, I saw in the Wall Street Journal, there's a method by which, you know, if someone's purchasing a handgun, the government runs a background check. But because it's bureaucracy and that can be slow, if they don't complete it within a certain waiting period, the gun sale will just go through and then it'll be enforced after they do the background check later when the person already has the gun, which seems like a really counterintuitive way of doing it. So I think I feel like there's a lot of those kind of little laws that we don't pay as much attention to. Like, I don't see how anyone can disagree with those things being addressed. Yeah, I absolutely agree. On this point of social media more and people from other sides, there are, you know, there's the hostility that naturally happens. And I've seen, you know, on Facebook, a lot of people saying just mean things, you know, from both sides. How do you kind of deal with that and keep the discussion productive? Yeah, I really appreciate this question because I actually had one of my first uh, personal experiences with this recently. Um, I was involved in a protest. It came a week after the Santa Fe shooting. Outside the White House, it was perfectly peaceful, but we, we partook in like normal protest things. Um, we were chanting, and what we did was we, we live streamed the on Facebook. We live streamed the protest. Um, and I spoke a couple of times, and for the first time, I looked through the live stream comments and I expected to see support given that, you know, if you're following a group like Students Demand Action, it's probably because you agree with what they're doing. And I was unbelievably shocked because overwhelmingly it was people being hateful, people being mean, people personally attacking me. I was called crazy and tons of things like that um, for being impassioned about this issue. And it's hard. It was it was a little disheartening at the moment to, to see how many people disagree. But what I tried to do in the moment was, A, I laughed a little bit, reading comments like, well, from adults saying like, well, at least I don't eat Tide Pods. Therefore, I'm, yeah, <laughs> that was actually someone's reasoning because a couple of teenagers are eating Tide Pods. Therefore, their entire generation needs to be discounted. Um, and it's it's little things like that to remind yourself that, you know, you're going to run into opposition. And then you see those comments that thank you for what you're doing and thank you for what people who say that they're really inspired by uh, the, the Parkland kids and all these people who are stepping up and taking real action. And it reminds you that, you know, you're going to, you may face a hundred voices of opposition, but if you just have that one heart, that one mind that you change for the better, I mean, to me, that makes it all worthwhile. And I feel like also in the context of like, you know, the comments of a Facebook live stream, it's so easy to just have the discussion dev- devolve into that, Absolutely. to have people start calling, you know, us crazy Tide Pod <laughs> eating uh, millennials or whatever they right. want to say. Um, that's just so easy. But when you talk to these people in person, you know, like in my own life, personally, I know a lot of, you know, family members, uh, teachers, uh, just people in my life who come from both sides of this issue and that I've disagreed with. And just talking to them in the context of like a real world situation, not in the context of like, okay, oh, they just replied to my Instagram post. This is really dumb. I'm going to comment something angry. Uh, But just having some normal sit down conversation with them, you can learn a lot about the way they think. Uh, Just anyone from any side. And I think that's something that we still just discount a lot in the age when, you know, our president tweets a lot and then people tweet back things. And it's usually not very pretty. That just happens a lot. Uh, I think we need to remember the value of just having a old fashioned conversation sometimes. Right. And social media is a double edged sword in a lot of ways, because, they, you know, when you're connecting people who agree with you, you're also going to be opening yourself up to people who disagree with you. Um, and I think that, you know, we just need to be ready for that. And as a, as, a, as a generation who has so profoundly used social media for the good, we also have to be aware of the negatives that are going to come with it. 
And uh, this summer, the March for Our Lives kids are doing something really cool. They're organizing this bus tour to kind of register voters and raise awareness. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Another question that is coming at a fantastic time, because I'm actually voting for the first time tomorrow. I'm, yeah. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited. I just think it's absolutely an amazing next step because, you know, a lot of people ask, a lot of people who aren't able, a lot of kids our age who aren't able to organize the next big march or start some sort of huge protest at their school, they wonder, what can I do? And I think that this is, voting is one of the most key things you can do to show what you believe and to really make an impact on government. I mean, we have the statistics from kids our age and people a little bit older than us um, about how they vote and, you know, who they're voting for. And then the fact that, you know, they're not voting at all. The fact that if everybody in our age demographic and the age demographic above us, if all of them had voted, it would have been a landslide for Hillary. It would have been a landslide for all of these people who support what we believe in. And whether that's a Democrat or if it's a Republican, it really doesn't matter. You just need to find someone who agrees with you, who who stands for what you stand for, especially on this issue of gun violence. There are people across the country from, from both parties who have really sensible uh, beliefs, and you just need to get out there and vote. And I think it's an incredible next step, um, especially given the fact that, you know, we we can keep referring to Parkland, we can keep talking about it, but the media is going to move on in a lot of ways, which is an unfortunate thing. You know, this shouldn't be an issue that we just forget about as time goes on. But um, the the best way that you can keep the issue alive is by voting for people and putting them in office who actually support the things that you support. I think we both just graduated, but I was taking, you know, AP Gov class last year. And just, you know, hearing that textbook statistic, oh, yeah, generally younger people will vote in much you right. know, lower numbers. And you think like, why does that have to be the case? We talk about voting a lot. But at the end of the day, I think practical events like going around the country and registering the people to vote is one of the best things you can do. It's great to have signs and it's great to have these protests and rallies, but um, this, at the end of the day, we live in a right. democracy. Um, and so voting is how we participate in it. Right, like we had the March for Our Lives, but in, I don't know, 20 years, we're, so many of us are gonna remember it and it's going to have been a, a profound experience. But at the same time, it's gonna one day just be a number, you know, the amount of people who went, and it's gonna be a series of great pictures. But if we don't follow through now by electing people who can actually make the values of the March for Our Lives a reality, then it's not really going to mean very much. And then uh, lastly, both of us, we're going to college next year, and a lot of our listeners themselves probably are as well. And many of you might also be juniors or just um, going through high school. What advice would you give to listeners to stay active in this fight beyond their school, beyond what we just mentioned with March for Our Lives? How can they keep participating? This is an incredibly tricky and important question, and one that I've been grappling with a lot beyond the um, the issue of gun violence, because I'm involved in the local, you know, young Democrats uh, group in my city. And our main problem is, you know, we have the, the group goes until age 35. So, of course, people are, as is the case with voting, they're more clustered toward the older end of that spectrum. And the problem with high schoolers is that they feel that they're about to leave. So there's no point in making any sort of, you know, commitment or ties to their city since they're not going to be here for much longer. Um, and I think what we can do, I think voting helps with this, is just showing kids, A, what impact they can have, you know, through doing voter drives, through protests, through talking to their elected officials, through voting, um, showing them the impact this has and showing them, you know, what they can do to make a difference and how important their action is. Down in, you know, Southern Virginia, we had the huge blue wave sweep of um, Democratic legislators taking the House of Delegates. Um, and it came down to one vote in a district down in Southern Virginia, one vote 
And if the the vote came down to a coin toss due to some pretty antiquated uh, laws um, in the Virginia Constitution. But basically, if one more person had voted, if one more young person had voted, they could have created a completely different election result. And I think by showing kids the the actual impact that they can have by voting, by talking to their legislators, you know, I felt so heard when I spoke to Don Beyer about gun violence, he was able to show me what he believed. By showing kids that they really can have that impact, I feel like we can show them that even if they're about to leave for college, even if they don't have much longer left in the city, that their communities need them and their community can give so much to them through their own work. And just speaking candidly from my perspective, you know, I'm usually more of a conservative on a lot of issues. But on this issue, I've been pretty uh, vocal about it because it's just something that, you know, obviously affects me as a student and I believe affects many people of my generation. And so I just want to add a point that I don't think people should be afraid of of, uh, voting on party lines. I think people, you know, in this case, it turns out that the, overwhelmingly, it seems to be Democrats that are advancing this issue, but there's no reason that in the future there can't be uh, more moderate Democratic candidates or even libertarians, Republicans, whatever suits you that follow this issue, because ultimately the parties are going to go where they see the voters going. That's how politics works. Just think about this on an issue level and how much it affects you. I think that's just yeah, what I would end on. Any more closing thoughts from you? I know that's a really general thing to ask, but just um, any any more general kind of closing advice you could give? Yeah. Um, well, I first of all, I just want to thank you so much for having me here. And I know that this is a really hard fight. Um, it's when I was younger, we, we're the generation where school shootings and mass shootings were just kind of a reality. And we, we grew up with so many of them that they kind of became blurred together and they became less meaningful because it was like, oh, yeah, school shooting, you know, it's another one more tears that are going to be shed, but we're just going to move on because nothing's ever going to happen. Um, and I've had, I've had low moments in this fight since Parkland where I've, I've thought even now it's the same, nothing's going to happen, but we've seen in small ways all across the country, you know, state legislators, governors making decisions in Virginia, all of the state legislators who have shown themselves to be so committed. We, we've really seen change all across the country, even if it doesn't always seem, even if, you know, our current Congress is not giving us the results that we want, if our president isn't giving us the results that we want, if your individual state legislator isn't always showing everything that you want. We've seen change and it's, it's a long slog. It's tiring. And I know some days you just want to, you just want to sit home, you know, think to yourself, well, I I can't do anything. But I think with these kids in Parkland, um, people that I see in my day-to-day life, just in small town, Alexandria, I know it's not that small, but sometimes it feels that way. You know, I've really seen kids my age make change. And no matter how, even if you feel like just the tiniest little cog in the machine, you really can make a difference. So I guess my my closing thought is one of the most cliche things you could say, but just don't give up because we really are, we're pushing the needle and we're making a difference. And I think in our lifetime, we, we can really make never again a reality. Thank you so much for coming on, Barrett. Thank you so much for having me, Max. And of course, since I'm a listener, I don't want to give up the fight. I want to have some links to follow. Um, are there any uh, places that people can go to look for social channels to participate in future demonstrations and things like that? Oof, am I super, bi- <laughs> super biased if I say Students Demand Action DMV is the place to go? I have to plug a, a local member of mine. Jay Falk is an incredible leader. Follow her on Twitter. Follow um, Students Demand Action DMV on Twitter. Uh, there are so many you know, great channels. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, also the leaders from Parkland are really good. You know, if you follow like David Hogg on Twitter, people like that, they really do a good job with saying like, Hey, here are things that are going on across the country 
Um, so if you're if you're from DC, Students Demand Action DMV is a great place to go. Um, Moms Demand Action has chapters all across the country. Almost like every major city has one, and then smaller cities. Um, and they have I, I've for some reason I'm like an honorary mom, so I have like a T-shirt and everything. So I think if you um, get involved with their Facebook groups or reach out to somebody, um, it takes a little bit of initiative. It takes a little bit of searching, but there there really is someplace, something everywhere um, for someone to find. So there are lots of great places online. Thanks again, Barrett. And thanks again, everyone for listening. We're available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, wherever you want to get your podcasts when this is out. And of course, we have a Twitter. So you can follow us at at PrayersFM if you want to stay up to date. We will have more episodes coming soon. It's still early days, but um, I'm working on scheduling guests and I'm looking forward to it. And if you want to leave us a review, that's much appreciated. And of course, feedback. Max at audox.xyz is my email. I will put that in the description to make it easy. You can send us feedback via email or any suggestions you have. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening and keep us in your thoughts and prayers or your subscription feeds, whichever one works for you. Thanks. Thank you.